This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bowerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bowerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control. Hello, and welcome to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other artistic athletes. I'm Jennifer Milner, here with co-host Dr. Linda Bluestein. Hello, everyone. And before we introduce today's special guests, we would like to remind you about how you can help us help you. First, subscribe to the Bendy Bodies podcast and leave us a review. This is helpful for raising awareness about hypermobility and associated disorders. Second, share the Bendy Bodies podcast with your friends, family, and providers. We really appreciate you helping us grow our audience in order to make a meaningful difference. This podcast is for you. This episode, we're doing things a little bit differently. We usually have one guest on to help us dive deep into a topic, but today we've got several guests to unpack this specific topic. We're talking about living with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, hypermobility spectrum disorder, or other hypermobility disorders. And we have several people experiencing life with a hypermobility disorder while trying to live and work as some sort of artistic athlete or who have performed in this capacity in the past. have everybody introduce themselves. Mariana, let's start with you. Can you share your story with us, please? Sure. Uh, I'm a circus performer. I'm an aerialist specializing in dance trapeze. I do fire, um, fire breathing, fire fans, fire eating. Um, And I also have done a lot of contortion, although right now I'm on a break because of um, some tendonitis. And I have uh, done a lot of my training and working in New York City in general, and now I'm in Montreal. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Kyle, why don't you tell us your name and tell us about yourself? Okay. My name is Kyle. I'm 20 years old, and I live with four different chronic illnesses. So I have POTS, EDS, um, mast cell, and arachnoiditis. And this all started um, about two years ago when I was diagnosed with a spinal tumor. And I had a couple surgeries and a lot of procedures to try to fix my body. And I've been uh, recovering ever since. Wow. Okay. So you are going to have a lot of um, firsthand experiences to share with us. Today. Yeah, I will. <laughs> that is excellent. Excellent. All right. Um, Marimba, it's, let's hear from you and your little one too, if he feels like talking. He's also probably hypermobile, as you can see. (laughs) So my name is Marimba Goldwatts, and I'm a former dancer. Um, I initially studied classical ballet at San Francisco Ballet, and then I moved to New York and became a modern dancer professionally. And um, then when I was in my mid-20s, I had a pretty serious ankle injury and had to retire. And in that process of recovering from my ankle injury, I discovered that um, I have EDS and I had quite a lot of, I would say drama and trauma in my recovery process, including four ankle surgeries to sort of recover from that. And so that led me to becoming a Pilates teacher where I work primarily with um, professional dancers, most of whom are dealing with some sort of hypermobility spectrum issues. And that's where I am. Excellent. And that's a great example of, um, you know, taking what you got and trying to deal with it and being able to make something out of it. So um, last but not least, Kaylee, what do you want people to know about you? Hello, I'm Kaylee. Um, I studied as a pre-professional dancer until I was about, well, until I hit my EDS wall at about 16. (laughs) But I feel like the, the saga kind of began when I had my first um, ankle fracture at seven years old. And then I felt like it just kind of was back to back from there. It was kind of a perpetual joke about like, oh, what time this year is Kaylee going to get a broken ankle or, you know, and after five broken ankles on one end and then four on the other, um, I pretty much just hit, I didn't have enough time to recover between them. And so the doctor basically told me I needed to have surgeries and different things like that. And or if I didn't want to continue with point dancing. And so I ultimately wanted to pursue a dance and, or a career in dance. However, my body did not um, allow that for me. However, um, after that kind of was on the back burner, I figured I needed to do some kind of strength training, but some kind of strength training that uh, respected my 
physical boundaries with safety and precautions and being able to strengthen and lengthen at the same time. So I got into Pilates like marimba and I'm now currently teaching Pilates, um, hoping to work with some hypermobile dancers, but also just allowing for other populations like non-hypermobile populations as well to kind of feed into their mind-body process in that nature. So functional intentional movement through that. So that's me. Excellent. Fabulous. And everyone, of course, has a unique story, but we know that there are some common threads that run through most hypermobile stories. So for example, who here um, has had that point in their career where they were so flexible that it was easy for them and people envied their, their flexibility or their ability to do different things? Anybody resonate with that? Um, I have a complicated thought as the result of that <laughs> comment. Um, Excellent. I think people thought it was really easy mm. and they didn't know that gaining flexibility wasn't necessarily as difficult for me, but the other things that came along with it where at the time I, I didn't even realize they were correlated mm-hmm. um, were causing issues that just got increasingly problematic. Um, and I definitely think that I got a lot of jobs from being hypermobile and people envied it a lot and still do probably. Mm-hmm. Sure. I would say there was definitely a period of time for me too, where having that kind of extreme flexibility was definitely an asset, not so much in my, in my ballet studies, because I, I went to a ballet school where everybody was hypermobile. I wasn't the only one. Um, but more when I came to New York and I studied at Alvin Ailey and at Ailey, extreme flexibility is definitely considered an asset. And so, you know, if you could touch your head to your butt or put your, mm-hmm. make your ponche like, you know, six, seven, eight o'clock, it was really a wonderful thing there. And so suddenly something that I had felt was sort of a party trick was now this asset and I didn't really realize it was a liability until much, much later when I started getting more injuries. There is a sense, isn't there, that um, what you think of as a party trick, you know, once the choreographer sees that, they're like, oh, you're going to be that girl. And so it's easy to always give you that piece of choreography or to say, oh, that's your special thing that you can do on silks. Let's make sure we do it in every single thing. Or, um, oh, we're always going to end a group number with you in the middle doing a scorpion or whatever it might end up with, right? So there's, there is that sense. And I think people sometimes see that and think that's not fair because that comes easy to her and she gets to stand in the middle and do the cool looking stuff. And I work so hard and nobody's ever like, oh, great, port bra <laughs> you know, or the things that, that other people work on. Um, so there is that sense, I think, of people seeing that and going, wow, that's amazing. And being kind of envious envious of it and not realizing, like you said, Mariana, the things that go along with it that are not either not helpful, right? They can actually start to cause damage or that it's not as easy as you think. Like the, the, the easy things um, are you may not even be doing correctly. Well, as a follow-up um, to that, is there anyone here who has had that uh, moment when things stopped being easy and um, suddenly things became really hard? Um, does anyone have a story like that to share? I can uh, talk about something. Great. Okay, so when I was younger, I used to play a lot of sports. I played a lot of baseball and basketball. And um, a lot of benefits were being able to run fast and, you know, stretch out your arms and be able to do splits while you're catching the baseball and things like that. And it was really beneficial for me, but there was a time where I was just dealing with constant injuries. I had broken my uh, growth plates in my ankles, probably dozens of times I was in boots and casts for years um, from probably age 13 to 16. I think I was in like constant boots. And at that point I realized that like my health was kind of like deteriorating and it went from like, oh, look at him. He can do a split while he's catching a baseball to he's wearing a boot while he's catching because he's having so much pain and things like that. And that was kind of like the turning point when I realized that like my life would probably never be the same was around the time when um, puberty hit and growth plates were changing and I was suffering from a lot of pain and it was just not something that became as easy anymore at, at that age. Did others have a similar experience um, with 
the time that puberty hit and feeling that hormonal shift and feeling a change in your body where things just instinctively got harder or maybe even got easier for you? I feel like I had that in a sense, but I feel like puberty was so early onset for me. I was always like the fuller one in all of my classes, even though I was kind of one of the youngest. Um, but I did feel like he said in boots and different things like that. And those also had the repercussions of, you know, like if you're wearing a boot that's two inches taller than your standing foot, then if you have hypermobile hips, then they skew out of place two inches. And then there's always like this continuous and that's kind of how it felt. Um, but also kind of Marimbo was saying, like when people see you stretching and I always loved Mondays because I came back from the weekend and I was like, my muscles were super loose and I could just stretch and my, you know, I could fold my foot over. And then everybody's like, how do you come back here on Mondays and do all of this? And, but, and that was kind of like my, my EDS day, I guess, but I didn't realize it in the moment. I was like, I don't know why I'm so warm after letting my muscles relax. And obviously now I understand more about that, but just yeah, the different, the depletion of health in general, and just seeing the back-to-back happenings of why am I the only one getting injured? Right. Like I, you know, take ample time and it just didn't make sense. And when you ask, like, if people are jealous of my hypermobility, I'm like, oof, no. Cause I was jealous of like the non-hypermobile dancers that could actually like function for more than two weeks at a time. So, but yeah, I definitely understand that. I um, have noticed. Oh, go ahead, Mariana. Sorry. I was just going to comment that I didn't do circus before the age of 13. And I also only did a couple years of dance as a kid before my parents decided I was far too stubborn and difficult to partake in ballet class, um, which I really regretted when and when I, you know, started doing circus more seriously as a teen. Um, I wish that I had the ballet and gymnastics background that professional circus performers either really rely on or try to catch up with. Um, but now that I've learned that I have EDS or hypermobility disorder, I am really grateful because I think that there isn't enough information with dance and gymnastics and circus training for people who have these disorders. And probably it was to my benefit that I didn't um, start doing that kind of training. I mean, it could be different if there was a lot of information available for people who have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome who are young and training, mm -hmm. but um, maybe I would have, a, would have had a harder time starting with circus if I had a history as a child with dance and gymnastics training. That's a good point. So Marimba, um, you went from ballet to contemporary and modern dance, and you are now training dancers yourself either as a teacher at Alvin Ailey or as a Pilates trainer that works with dancers, how has your hypermobility and what you went through with all of that made you a better teacher? How has it fed into what you have to offer now? Wow. <laughs> I think that one of the ways that it's probably made me resonate more with dancers who are going through all sorts of injuries is that I've had a lot of injuries. And so often I can relate to them, not just from personal experience, but because I've had to deal with my own saga of recovering from that injury. Um, and so I, I have a, a little bit more empathy for people who are dealing with all sorts of injuries. Um, on the other hand, um, having that dance background also, and, and because I have sort of a, a dual background, one is that I still teach dance, I still teach modern dance. And then the other one is that I work much more in the rehab setting, but because I still teach dance, I have much more of a sense of what people are actually being asked to do with their bodies on a regular basis. And so I don't just have the like, oh, I'm hypermobile and I can help you learn how to organize your body, but I also have the, and I know what your choreographer is going to ask you because I'm seeing them in the studio next to me, tell you that they want you to touch your head to your butt or whatever it is. And mm -hmm. so then I can sort of take that information and bring all of it back to the Pilates studio and help my clients in that way. Mm. That's an interesting point too, because when, you know, dancers or other artistic athletes are asked to do these things and, you know, especially if people are starting to have some pain, um, I guess, how do you, when you're working with the client, how do you um, guide them or, or advise them about, um, you know, it's hard to say no, because then you know that you probably won't get asked to, to be in that piece or have that opportunity again. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, knowing what you know about bodies and that we need to be mindful of what we do, um, how do you how do you approach that? I mostly work with people to find a different way to a different means to an end. So if they want to do something really extreme with their body, I don't prevent them from doing it. That's their that's absolutely up to them. But I try to help them find a way that they can achieve the same goal or aesthetic in a way that's much safer for them and much healthier for them. And if there's absolutely no way to do that, then we just cross train like crazy so that they have as much support around their body as possible. Like they may still have to do something that's really extreme. Um, I work with some circus performers also, and sometimes it's, that's the nature of what they're doing for a living. And so we don't really have that much of a choice, but we can cross train and we can work on proprioception and we can work on all sorts of different ways of strength training to make sure that they have as much balance around their joints as possible. And then I also, especially when I'm working with somebody who's more on the extreme end of the hypermobility spectrum, um, I also try and refer them to other support systems like people who can help with nutrition advice and functional medicine specialists and, and so that they're having a much more holistic approach to their health. And it's not just like, oh, don't do that split. Um, it's, it's so that they have support surrounding their entire health journey. Mm. Well, and just to piggyback on that, you talk about trying to find a different way to do something, right? Um, and I was wondering, Mariana, when you do your work, because you do a fair amount of um, a freelance work, do you feel like you have the freedom when somebody asks you to do a piece for you know, a corporate event or whatever you're doing? Do you feel like you have the freedom to say, I'm not going to include that trick, but let me show you a different trick instead or to sort of sort of make it your own. Do you feel like you can do that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think part of why I've done so much work for myself is because I have so much more control over my schedule and my body. Um, and if I'm having a week where my back is spasming and I, I can't do a lot of the things I'm doing, I don't have to accept jobs for that week. Um, it's been easier for me than times that I've worked on contracts, although I like those too. Well, that makes sense. And um, another thing that we're excited to talk to you about, Kyle, um, is about cheerleading. So um, we know that cheer is, is definitely another one of those areas that um, prizes artistry, but um, requires athleticism. So can you share with us um, how your hypermobility made cheer uh, better for you or how it made you better for cheer and also how it was something that you had to compensate for? Mm -hmm, sure. So I'll talk a little bit about the cheer world. There's not a lot of boys that join cheerleading due to the superstition of, you know, guys being feminine or whatever it might be. And um, I always thought it was an interesting sport being able to do a bunch of flips and lift up girls and do all that stuff. And um, I joined a gym and the moment I got in there, I was like surrounded by everyone. They were always so interested when a new guy would join because it's so rare to see them. And um, I went, I joined a bunch of tumbling classes because once I get into a sport, I just dive right in. I want to be the best I can be. And um, a lot of the uh, other athletes in the gym had 10 plus years of um, gymnastic experience. And so they had learned to, you know, stretch their muscles and allow them to do things that they shouldn't be able to do. And when I showed up, I was just kind of able to do them. And, um, they always, um, a lot of my coaches were like, Oh, it's just cause you're a boy, you're, you're fearless. You'll do anything. And I think that narrative is kind of dangerous because it wasn't just because of that. I had like serious issues. The reason I was able to do that is because I was so hypermobile. And, um, it was an extremely huge benefit though, is because, I was learning skills that took other people in the gym years to develop. And I was doing things like backflips within my first week. And um, it's just a crazy experience. I was, it was just such a fun thing to be able to do things like that. Interesting. And what about the um, athleticism part of it and the, you know, developing the muscle strength to stabilize your joints and things? Is that something that you found um, challenging or were you able to manage and compensate for that? Okay. Um, so the first year I joined cheer, I actually had one of the worst injuries of my life. I had torn, I think three to four lip 
three to four ligaments in my ankle. I had torn a tendon. I had destroyed my um, ankle bone and my joint as well. And um, so the problem there was, yes, I was doing really difficult skills and I was being as safe as I could. I, I genuinely listened to my coaches and I did everything right. I did the drills. I did the stretching and there was just nothing else that I could do. Um, and another awful thing is that because I was so used to being in pain all my life from my um, genetic conditions, um, I actually landed wrong on my ankle when I was doing um, one of my uh, tumbling skills and I heard a pop and I was like, oh, that's just my joint being weird because I'm so used to it. And I actually continued tumbling on it for hours that day. And the reason why um, I destroyed my ankle so bad is because I didn't realize what I had done to it because I'm so used to my ankles being able to pop out of place, mm -hmm. being able to bend them in weird ways. And I just assume I had done something like that. But there was just nothing else I could have done. I, I did everything I could. I trained weeks and weeks to do these skills and there was nothing else I could have done. It just happened. And that's actually a super interesting point because um, I think sometimes people don't realize when they have an acute event like that, they don't realize how bad it is because it takes on average about 72 hours for the swelling to peak. So mm -hmm. it's, it, it's going to feel worse the next day. And then the day after that, and, you know, at the time you've got the adrenaline rush, you've got the, you know, the effect of the exercise on the neurotransmitters kind of dampening the pain signals. So you're like, oh, I'm okay. I can keep, and you're, and you're a driven person, right? So you were, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm going to keep pushing myself. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, well, and I, and I think in general, a, a lot of hypermobile artistic athletes are very driven, are very, um, they push themselves very hard. And we're also, like you said, Kyle, we're used to living with a, a sort of low level amount of pain. So um, we're used to sort of dealing with that because the flip side of it, like Kaylee has said, is that the other side is people are like, oh my gosh, you're always injured. Because if you really talk about your stuff and you're like, uh, I think I should be in a boot again, or I can't see the room is dark. Should I finish snow or should I stop dancing? You know, <laughs> like just <laughs> those things that happen, either you're the one that's always like, um, there's a problem or you just stop <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> and so people don't realize it. And so you just keep going until like you said, Kyle, you literally cannot keep going anymore. Yeah. And people are just used to you plowing ahead. And they're like, well, why didn't you say something? And you're like, um, I did 47 times. <laughs> yeah. I actually have a very similar story to Kyle's. Yeah. Cause the same thing, I just stepped onto um, a trampoline. I barely just rolled my ankle and I heard an audible pop and I was like, huh. And I was like, that kind of hurt, you know, just kind of like a little, oh, my ankles are weird to pop them out all the time, you know? And then um, about 12 hours later, I'd been running and I'd been cross training and I'd just been to dance and I was on point. And I came back home and I looked down at my ankles and like one was just dark and the size of a baseball. And I was like, okay, perhaps this is. <laughs> and so I just had no, you know, cause I was like, well, ankles always hurt on point. So that's normal. So I didn't ever really give any mind to it. And I think a lot of times that is our issue. <laughs> we don't really give a lot of mind to what is the, just the continuous pain. And then what is the threshold above that? Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, Mariana, you, um, as you, as you have pursued a career as an aerialist, I know that you, you said you have had several, um, serious injuries. So how has been trying to deal with those because you're still pursuing a career? Um, how has that shaped how you, how you train as an artist, um, the choices that you've made, the, the opportunities that you get to pursue all of that? Um, well, it's been interesting, um, I've had a lot of injuries. I've injured, I fractured my feet four times, bilateral tendonitis in my hips and shoulders this year, bilateral shoulder surgery last year. Um, my sprained my back, strained my back. Um, I've had so many, I've bruised my ribs, uh, which I bruised my ribs because I put a barbell weight on my stomach and was holding it doing sit-ups. Like I didn't think that would really bruise my ribs for like five months but yeah I mean it's interesting because I've really I feel like I really have to fight to make space for my body to exist in normal life and also in like this weird abnormal life that I've carved out for myself that seems to match who I am and you know I've had to like 
argue with coaches about what I can and can't do. And there was a time I lost that argument and was pushed too hard and ended up in the hospital for two surgeries um, and missed my first big trapeze solo contract. And then uh, COVID happened. So Mm. missed out on my last trapeze performances of the recent history of my life um, until I get my next job, I guess. But it's, it's taken me a long time to find that I need a coach who understands me and is really careful with me and looks to be more careful than I am with myself. Because like you guys said, there's like not a lot of sensory attentiveness to tearing ligaments and muscles while we're doing Mm -hmm. our work. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really easy to have the adrenaline rush and like the endorphins of doing what you love and exercising and miss it. Um, And like, you know, I just took, I just took a uh, six weeks off of training and returned today because I, I thought that I retour something and I didn't thank God, but you know, it's, it's like, I always, I feel like I'm always um, like all day. I'm looking out to make sure I don't get injured. Like I spend three hours a day doing physical therapy five days a week. Um, And I'm just, I just wish that I knew all this sooner when I was younger. That's all when I first started. <laughs> well, Marimba and I do very similar work. She and I are friends. Um, and, and Kaylee is, is getting into this as well. And I know that part of what we see from the other side of the table is working with artists like you who prefer not to think about your boundaries. Like you want to be able to just get out there and just go and be strong. And that's part of your that's part of your team, like your trainer's job is to help you find your strength and find those boundaries instinctively so you don't have to think about it. Um, and it is harder for people with hypermobility to feel where those boundaries are. So it's constantly that educating, are my arms straight? No. Are they too bent? No. Are they too straight? No. It's constantly trying to find over and over and over again. And that's, that's part of our job is to help you guys find that spot because it is so hard for people with hypermobility to feel that it's so hard to sense where your, your ends are in space when your end is so different than everybody else's. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Another, one more thing that really helped me was working one-on-one with a coach Mm -hmm. um, instead of group classes. Um, Even the advanced ones. Um, And I had to move countries in order to afford that, but it was, completely 100% worth it. Well, you are saying that the right coach and the right input makes all the difference, I think. Having one-on-one coaching makes it easier for me personally to think about where the boundaries are and communicate Mm -hmm. with the coach and have training that's specialized for what my body can't do and would be good at doing with the right support. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Well, Kaylee, um, I know that you are pursuing, like you said, having a a career as a Pilates teacher, going through all of this and going through it at a a young age, right? You said you were 16. Um, How did that shape, how did that experience shape what you wanted to do next and what you wanted to do with that information where you are with your body? So I guess when I quit dance, or I guess dance quit me, essentially, um, I, I I was kind of at a loss. And like you, we've mentioned, uh, y'all have mentioned on the podcast multiple times that there's like a specific identity, especially like when you introduce your daughter and say, hi, this is Kaylee, my ballerina, you know, that's who you are. That's like your, your whole title. And so when I was dissociated from that and I was starting college, I'd graduated early at the time at, um, from high school. And so I was starting college and I just kind of came to this identity crisis. And if it wasn't dance, I didn't want to move. And I figured, well, if my body doesn't like movement, why move it? And so I kind of became a shell essentially like, and even all of the studies that go to show that movement heals the mind and the body. Um, I kind of just was a little bitter about it all just because if, you know, if I was going to continue to get injured, why, why move it? And so kind of went into a depressional state there um, for a, a long while, but I understood that, you know, along with that came the weight gain and, you know, all more injuries because I wasn't, you know, supporting my body and giving it the boundaries or support that it needed. And so 
I had already been in Pilates physical therapy for my ankle and rehabilitation for my perineal tendinitis, which ultimately put me off of point. Um, cause I'm missing a groove in my ankle that, you know, my tendon flattens out like a ribbon instead of goes into the groove. And so that was what I would had needed surgery for if I were to want to ever pursue point ever again. Um, and so I kind of ditched that answer and I was like, is dance really worth my life or worth that time and effort? If I'm only going to get me, this is only going to get me to the next checkpoint of, you know, my next injury. So mm-hmm. how can I pursue something long-term that's going to not only support my physical and mental health, um, but uh, likewise, like pursue what I want to do in like psychology and body cognition. And that's kind of where my mojo kind of clashed together is when I was doing Pilates physical therapy and saw that not only benefited the, and gave the support of the muscles closest to the bone and kind of respected the boundaries, like the whole lying down process. I mean, I had been doing Pilates as a cross training for years and I just figured I was like, Oh, this is just to, you know, strengthen other parts of my body that ballet doesn't. I never really saw the true benefits of the lengthening and strengthening until I delved deeper into that. And so I really found through it kind of like my body had found its voice and, um, something that would respect the boundaries of it would support it in the correct ways and not push it to its limits. Um, you know, like the ungodly, like breaking out the other wrist for first position and things like that. And the things that I had forced myself to do thinking that that was beautiful. And, um, so really finding that mind body connection and being able to be aware of myself within who I am rather than trying to fix what I see in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was a big impact on me, just where am I physically? And so I wanted to share that with other dancers. Cause I, I almost felt betrayed at that point, like by, my, by myself, by my own body. Um, when I had discovered all of these things, it of course had answered a lot of questions that I had been, had been lingering in the back of my mind, but of course it's still kind of like a you know what Maria, Mariana said, it's like, if I only knew sooner, you know, the things that I would have done differently. However, mm-hmm. because that's in the past, how can you rehabilitate? How can you stabilize? And how can you pass along the knowledge that you wish you once knew to younger dancers growing up kind of like you and Marimba do right now? So. And isn't there something to, you know, because Dr. Bluestein and I have both through, been through a, a variation of this journey as well. Isn't there something to let's make this suffering mean something, right? <laughs> like let's, let's at least the things that we have been through and the life lessons that we have learned, let us, um, let us pass those on to other people and let them help other people. So I, I can definitely understand that desire to, to pass that on and to make use of what you've been through in your journeys. Thanks. Absolutely. Um, and, and we've talked a lot about uh, musculoskeletal issues that um, people have had to deal with throughout their life. Um, what about other issues? Um, lots of people experience other comorbidities with hypermobility disorders, um, such as POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, gastrointestinal um, problems, and, and lots and lots more. Um, so does anybody have some of those other issues um, that is willing to share about it? All of the above. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I have bought um, pots from a very young age. And, you know, it was when I was dancing and standing for long periods of time, there was really no like correlational. um, There was no one thing that triggered it. Like uh, maybe my brace was too tight and hints toward the brace, or maybe it was too hot in the room or, you know, is your blood sugar up? And you know, at a point it was just kind of, and I, it was more spaced out and I never really understood why I was passing out. Maybe I was locking my knees, but I mean, there were times where I would literally fall to the ground. And I did actually have a neurologist, um, tell my mom, like, or ask my mom, is she getting enough attention at home? You know, like it was kind of, it was such a perpetual event. And I, I mean, I did feel kind of crazy at that point. Cause I was like, I, yes, I, I do enjoy collapsing on the middle of the floor and eating Hershey's while everybody else continues with Grand Allegro. Right. <laughs> um, and so, but yes, having the GI issues on top of all of that comes with also the dysautonomia. Cause uh, POTS is directly like are correlated to the gastroparesis and different things like that. And the, just the simple comor- comorbidity of not being able to heal in time. I have um, 
dental issues that have been going on for seven years. And my um, endodontist is like, you have not had any bone growth since, you know, since you were 12 or 13. And it's just seeing that it's a little frustrating, not knowing that you're, or knowing that your body, that you can't trust your body and take to take over like that. And so that comes with a ton of different aspects of all of those comorbidities like that. And I imagine there was a period of time where, before you knew like the names of some of the things that were going on that you thought that, oh, I don't know if these are actual issues or my body is just kind of wonky. Um, was there a period of time like that? Oh, for sure. I used to sit in the back seat on our way, on my way to dance. And I would just sit there and I'd feel cranks in my neck and cranks in my elbow and an ache in my knee. And I used to think like my nine-year-old self would think if I were in somebody else's body, would they, do, do people experience this much pain, like on a regular basis? And it was just so confused. I was like the metacognition of it all, just being able to like reflect in yourself and being like where I feel all of these different things. And I was like, am I just a wimp? Like, do people feel this on a regular basis, but like, I'm just a sissy toward it, you know, is this just regular thing? And also with like the perpetual injuries and dance, I'm like, maybe people just push through, but obviously like if the x-rays are showing that I have torn tendons and I also have, you know, fractures, I was convinced that there was something wrong, but again, there was an aspect of, okay, maybe, maybe I am crazy. Maybe I'm just the odd man out. Like maybe I just need to get over myself, you know? There was definitely a factor of that for sure. My, my husband told me once that I had so many issues that my issues had issues. <laughs> oh, <heard>. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was hard for him to understand, especially the extra musculoskeletal stuff. And especially, you know, before getting the, the diagnosis. Um, so we're talking about the extra musculoskeletal things that, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that people often face. Does anyone else have um, experiences with that, that they would um, like to share? Sure. I'll go ahead and share. Um, also have gastroparesis. Only met a couple of other people who know what that is. Um, uh, I get lightheaded kind of a lot, but I don't have a diagnosis for POTS um, as of this current moment. I do have a vocal cord dysfunction, which I wanted to mention because um, Jennifer is the first person I've ever heard say that she's met multiple people with this condition. Um, the other one being a pulmonologist at Yale that I talked to. So basically my vocal cords try to shut when I inhale, if I'm exposed to pollutants or anxiety, um, which is really annoying. And I thought it was asthma and tried asthma medications like corticosteroids, which can weaken your bones and co potentially cause more injuries and doesn't work for vocal cord dysfunction. Um, and it's estimated that maybe half or more of all people with an asthma diagnosis have this instead. Uh, also just like generalized anxiety. Um, I'm nocturnal. All these little things that I never imagined were correlated with one another aside from being a very strange, like abnormal person, um, mm -hmm. all related. Um, the GI stuff, I, I went on a really strict vegan diet when I was like 13 and it really helped me and gluten-free later. And um, I don't know, I eat a really, a really, um, I guess, selective diet though. And it's the only way that I can manage the stomach issues. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That makes sense. And, and as we were talking about earlier with, um, with the musculoskeletal issues with, you know, it's all of these small things until all they collect into this one big thing. Um, and at the time you still think I'm crazy, like everybody must hurt this way. I think it's the same way with these comorbidities. If you have MCAS or if you have um, um, POTS or something like that, that it's just these little weird things. Oh, Kaylee faints in the middle of class. Oh, you know, Mariana can't breathe in if she's around paint fumes or just little things that you think, oh, it's probably no big deal. But then you start to pull those threads together and realize there is something bigger going on. And there's usually that moment of finding that one person to pull those threads together. So did you start pulling the threads together yourselves or did you just luck into finding a doctor or a medical professional that was like, hey, let me ask you some other questions too, while we're talking about your ankle. Like, how did you get help for the other stuff? Um, well, for me, I was very frustrated with the medical community for my entire life because they thought I was exaggerating or faking it. Like I got called a hypochondriac. Uh, they tried to treat me with 
medications or things that would have never worked and I knew they weren't working. Um, and people, people there for a while, everyone thought that people who were gluten intolerant but didn't have celiac disease were just making it up and wanted to be like trendy or something. Um, vocal cord dysfunction or like being sensitive to chemical fumes. Doctors thought that was a hoax. Um, it wasn't until I started dating my current partner who has a couple of friends with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, including a really close friend who um, continuously is hospitalized for it, um, my friend as well, that my partner pointed out, you know, you have a lot of the same ailments that Willie has. And, and then um, as the years, like a couple of years went by and the symptoms got a bit worse, I eventually talked to Jennifer, <laughs> she was like, <laughs> you know, um, all of like all of these things fall under this category. I think that's a really great point to bring up. Um, like on Doctor's Day, I was kind of um, reflecting as I was looking through, like Happy Doctor's Day, respect all the doctors and everything. And I, I thought the same thing. They're growing up; it, it's difficult to kind of come to terms with all the doctors that I guess looked at you in the face and like. Like I, my nickname, uh, my PCP, you know, my orthodontist and everywhere I was fluke for everybody because like you see these medically trained professionals and they look at you like with their eyebrows scrunched over and they're like, we have never heard of this before, you know? And it's like, I'm serious. Like these things are happening and, um, just, but that's a really great point to bring up and knowing actually encourage that hopefully more doctors will come to understand that they're all related. And I think, um, to answer Linda's question, it was a lovely Jennifer Milner who kind of spoke with me about, I was standing in front of her and she was sitting on the Cadillac, the glorious Cadillac of, um, Pilates. And she started asking me all these random questions. And I was like, yes, my skin stretches. Yes. I have weird teeth things that happen. And yes, I can put my leg behind my head and then it got more and more involved of me doing my own research and um, talking with cardiologists. And it was just kind of like that big light bulb moment. Um, it was an answer to majority of most of my battles. And then of course, as I branched out and I started telling people, um, doctors like, oh, I have a hypermobile disorder. They would be like, they were, they were more likely to understand rather than like coming first on saying that I had a hypermobile disorder rather than them trying to guess it firsthand. So I've always found that before I, I knew my own diagnosis, it was really difficult to find that obviously, because I went to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, and it only took them, you know, 16, 18 years to actually diagnose me with what I had already. And I had seen multiple professionals on various different things. Um, and so, but yeah, that's a, Definitely. I also had one of my cardiologists have an intern and she was like, had me on the table. She's like, lift up your shirt. Let me pull your skin. And I was like, what? <laughs> like I was kind of her Guinea pig. Of, she's like, cause it's so, it's so in the works, right? That's why we mm -hmm. talk about the, you know, the nude findings of it all is because there are a lot of more things to know about it. And I think just finding the intrigue and hopefully the doctors that have the same intrigue will come to understand that it's not just in our heads, not crazy. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a, a nice segue into um, talking about something else that comes along with hypermobility a lot, which is people with hypermobility do have a much higher statistical likelihood of having anxiety, which a couple of you have mentioned here, um, having obsessive compulsive disorder, um, depression, eating disorders, other mental health issues. Um, if anybody wants to address that at all and their personal experiences with that, we would love to hear um, sort of how you have coped with any of that? Um, I'll talk about something. Um, so when I was first diagnosed with POTS, um, it was very confusing. Um, I didn't know how to cope with it and all that. And I first started seeing a therapist around, I think I was 17. Um, and it really helped. I wasn't diagnosed with anything, but it felt nice to talk to someone about my issues. Um, mm -hmm. And then it kind of spiraled downwards when I was diagnosed with my tumor I was extremely depressed, had a lot of anxiety. I wasn't sure what was going to happen to me. I had been told I could have been paralyzed and there was just a lot that came out of, at me all at once. And I was getting to the point where I was like, I just, I don't even know if I can just live anymore. It's just too much. And I told my mom 
And she was like, you know, we'll get you to see another therapist. And um, I started seeing this one lady and just being able to talk about what you're going through, even just saying the words like, I just don't want to live right now out loud can like really open your mind to figuring out why you feel like that, what you can do to help yourself um, and just better ways to manage. I had no um, stress relievers. I was in bed. I was bed bound for months due to my illnesses. There was nothing else I could do. But the one thing that I always had going for me was my therapist. I could always talk to her and figure out things to ease my mind. And it's just a extremely beneficial system to have someone to talk to. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. It is it is hard sometimes to take that first step to be able to talk to a stranger, um, but hypermobility disorders and everything that comes along with it, as you said, can be so overwhelming that it really does help to have uh, someone to process it with. So thank you for sharing that. I'll just add that um, I found it really helpful to have a therapist also. And I do mostly it's been online as of the past couple of years. Um, and I also like meditate every night, literally every night for years, 30 minutes, maybe four minutes if I'm really tired, to be honest, but just like to touch base every single day. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Dr. Bluestein, that's one of the things that you talk about as well. When you talk about pain management, do you want to just sort of elaborate on that a little bit? Right. So if you, um, it's so often that the um, autonomic nervous system, so with someone who has dysautonomia or POTS is one of the subtypes. Um, if you can train your, the dial of your sympathetic to parasympathetic nervous system, if you can kind of train that at certain times of the day to be biased towards the parasympathetic or the increased vagal tone or slowing down your heart rate, which improves your digestion, then you can, um, over time, it actually can make changes in the brain. Like we know, uh, Buddhists, they actually are able to make structural changes in their brain by, by doing that. And um, so th that's a really great thing, um, you know, that you do, because that really is one of the things that has been shown with POTS um, to be beneficial. And it is challenging because oftentimes when we bring this up, if, if somebody doesn't, um, it, they might misinterpret that Oh, that we think it's in their head. And it's like, no, but what's in your head does matter tremendously. So while people with hypermobility are prone to anxiety, um, we know that those are highly correlated, very, very highly correlated. But if we can do these kinds of things to help combat that, it can help improve a lot of symptoms, including things like gastroparesis. Mm, that's so interesting. So um, you guys have shared some really, really great stories tonight. Not great. Like, wow, that's so fun that you got to have gastroparesis, but um, great. Like things that will really resonate with a lot of our listeners. Um, as, as you have gone through this journey, have you thought about what sort of advice would you give your, your younger self if you could? And, and also what advice, like, would you do things differently? Um, and also what advice would you give people now who are in that position, who are listening and who are thinking, I don't know if it's worth trying to move forward. I don't know how to seek help. I don't know if I have this or what. what. What would you say to these people? I would say the most important thing is to start looking for a team of people who don't necessarily have your same issues, but can help you figure out a way to just have balanced support. And, and your team has to be, I would say, pretty diverse. It, it's not necessarily just somebody who works on your body, but you need a mental health professional and somebody who understands why you can't digest this, that, or whatever. And um, maybe an eye doctor who can work with the fact that your lenses are always changing and a dentist who understands that your teeth are going to shift and so many other people on your team who understand all of the comorbidities and all of the other issues that can come with having EDS or any sort of hypermobility spectrum issues. I would also say one thing about that is um, about how to help yourself now is definitely finding specialists. One thing I always had trouble with was growing up talking to primary care doctors and, you know, childhood physicians, things like that. Yes, they're incredibly smart and they went to medical school, but they, they don't have the grasp on your illnesses to think outside the box and be like, oh, well, it could be this rare genetic condition I learned about getting my PhD or something. And mm -hmm. if I had known that 
seeing a specialist at such a young age about how different my life would be now. Um, because I found, you know, Dr. Bluestein in when I was 20 years old, and I just couldn't imagine if I had found someone like her when I was, you know, 13 years old and struggling with so many different issues. If I had started on certain medications or learned how to move my body in safe ways, I'm mm. sure 99% of my issues that I'm having now could have been avoided just because, you know, some doctors can't think outside of the box or just won't even try to at this point. Thank you, Kyle. That's, that's very kind. And it, I think that it's, um, those are good points that everyone needs like somebody to really advocate for them really, really hard, like, you know, mm-hmm. in their corner, that's really going to help them find pivotal people on their team that really are going to, um, you know, think through things very um, thoughtfully. So thank you for, for sharing all that. Of course. Um, I've been thinking about an answer to this and I don't think it's an easy answer, um, but I do have some thoughts. Um, now that there's more research and there's the disjointed, the book that you co-authored, there's podcasts like this, there are doctors who are aware of the boundaries and peculiarities of these disorders uh, and coaches too, who are either people who have these issues themselves or are aware of it. I think for, for anyone getting, figuring out that you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or a hypermobility disorder or POTS is like really important as soon as you can, before you start your training, if you can. And then um, knowing who you are, like for me, I know I'm a sensitive person and I need a coach who's also attuned to that so that they know when I'm injuring myself potentially, and they know don't like, I don't need to be pushed. I push myself too much. I need to be cautioned a bit, but also encouraged to keep going. Um, and just to like, find maybe find, find someone in your corner in your art or your sport who also will stand by you and understand that you need to take breaks and you need to go slower, but you will get there. Um, and you're not weak, you're just uh, different. Um, your body does unique things and that can be great for dance and for uh, circus. That is very true, that is. Um, I would say also Marimba and I both work with um, pre-professional dancers at a, at a very high level. And I always encourage parents you know, I tell people it's too soon to start your kid. Like your nine-year-old doesn't need to be in a super rigorous training program, cross training and all that extra stuff. However, if you have a kid that is super bendy or is constantly in pain or those sorts of things, and your parent gut is saying, I think they need something else. Listen to that. Um, I would much rather a parents bring me their 12-year-old and say, you know, it's just little twinges, aches and pains, but I thought maybe we could start to strengthen her. I would much rather do that then deal with a 15 year old who has developed to bigger aches and pains and has to work so much harder to learn how to control it. So for the younger audience, if you feel it and you feel like there's something going on, like Kaylee said, she knew from the age of nine that there was something going on with her body and that she was different. And Kyle said, you know, it's not natural to be able to do the splits when you are pitching. And if you notice that and you feel that it's okay to speak up and to ask for to ask for outside help and to, to ask to try to find answers on it. Um, there are so many great people out there who can, who can help you. You just have to find that one and that one person will help you find another and another and soon you'll have a whole team together. I often say it's never too early to start on, on those kind of things. So, you know, I'm always careful not to over-medicalize. Obviously, we don't need to put people on a bunch of medications and things like that right. if they're not necessary. But at the same time, by um, somebody knowing sooner rather than later that there's a potential issue, um, you know, mm-hmm. they can really pay attention to their diet and they can really, you know, be more mindful. And I love uh, meeting young people like, like Kyle, because it makes such a big difference and you can really change that person's trajectory for the rest of their life, you know? So it is so important if, if we ignore what's going on with, with younger people, um, you know, they go through the years and years of, you know, lack of validation and, um, you know, pain and suffering that is, that is not, um, is not necessary, or at least a lot of it is not necessary. So 
Does anyone else have any advice that they would give their younger selves if they could, or advice that you want to give to people now that are, you know, hearing maybe part of themselves and your stories? I would definitely say probably the same thing to my younger self and to others, because I feel like there's a lot of people out there that if we are not in the dance community, or if you're not actually in any particular community of like physical awareness, it just kind of looks, it looks different. Um, just because you're not regularly moving your body, you're not kind of discovering the different facets of your, you know, bendiness. And, uh, but people who do and kind of just see themselves as a little funky, a little wonky here and there have these certain things. I would just say one, it, you're not crazy. And two, you're, it's all connected. And I feel like there are so many different little things that can pull from, you know, from the um, musculoskeletal to the, um, just the bendiness and from the obsessive compulsion, the perfectionism, um, the version of like wanting to control everything external of you, because there's so much like you can't control within you. Um, and I think it's just that heightened, especially for me, it was that heightened internal sense of awareness. Right. And even, especially with pots, if, if people have pots and their blood pools, um, and their legs start to swell, you know, and then for me, there comes the, um, multidimensional aspect of how it transcends social anxiety and like body dysmorphia of like my calves look, feel huge. Like, are they huge? You know? And so all of these things that you feel and are experiencing that they're most likely connected and not that there's one, you know, answer to it all that, you know, just the research and the backings of being able to kind of find those little tidbits. It's all like one big spider web, a big fascial web, you know? <laughs> and so <laughs> just kind of finding your niche and how you can understand yourself, yourself better. And also kind of giving tidbits for other people who struggle with the same thing. I actually had like a non dancer say that they started rock climbing, which could they have Ehlers-Danlos or hypermobility disorder. And they started rock climbing. And I was like, that's great for like, it not only challenges like their upper body strength, but it's like their proprioception of where they place their hands in front of them without having to, you know, their feet underneath them. And I was like, that's such a great, you know, they're just finding your expression of whatever it is by art or um, just different things and knowing that you're not put down by it all, you know? Well, we really appreciate you guys speaking up today and sharing your stories. I know it's not always easy and um, we are really grateful for you offering to, to chat and um, share your experiences with our listeners. Yes, we are extremely grateful. Does anyone have anything that they want to add before we, before we wrap up? I would just say um, one of the things I think is most important, was most important for me is figuring out how to be my own advocate in this whole saga of understanding my own health and I mean, I said before, having a team is really important, but even within your team, continually learning how to advocate for yourself. And that's something that most of us aren't taught at a very young age. And if you're, when you're younger and you're starting to deal with all of these issues, a lot of times you really don't know if it's in your head or not. And so you want to advocate for yourself and you know something is off, but you don't quite know what is off. And at least in my experience, and I don't know if anybody else had this, but um, I'm sure my mom and my grandmother also have EDS. And so when I would describe things to them, they didn't necessarily see it as abnormal because they experienced it also. Mm. Um, so that was also tricky because I was like, oh, well, my mom has it, then it must be normal. And I didn't really pursue it until I started having significant issues. Um, so you know, if, if something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. So speak up and try and figure out how you can get to the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. It's great advice. I think that what you said was so important about like the parents and the grandparents. And, yes. and the tricky mm -hmm. thing is that, um, and I don't know if this fits with, uh, you know, you all's experience, but it definitely fits with my experience personally and professionally that the older generations are less affected than the younger generations. And those of us that take care of a lot of people with EDS and related disorders, 
Um, we believe that this is multifactorial, um, one being like the quality of the soil isn't as good. So in general, people are getting like less nutrients in their diet. Um, our environment mm -hmm. has become more toxic with different chemicals and, and things like that. Um, definitely more stressors and um, a lot of different things that we're exposed to. So it, I think it's also challenging because even if you identify with older people, older generations, um, it's easy to be like, oh, but, but they're you know, but they're okay. And they've dealt with it. So it must not be that bad, but oftentimes it is worse in the, in the younger people. So I just wanted to mention that. Well, thank you so much to every single one of you, Kylie, Kaylee, Marimba, and Mariana. We are so grateful to you for, for sharing your experiences and you're going to help a lot of people by being able to, to identify with different parts of your stories. And, and we just are so, are so grateful. So you all have been listening to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, and we really appreciate uh, everyone coming on the program today. So thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for having thank us. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other artistic athletes. Please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Remember to subscribe so you won't miss future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Bendy Bodies YouTube channel as well. Thank you for helping us spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions. Visit our website, www.bendybodies.org, for more information. For a limited time, you could win an autographed copy of the popular textbook, Disjointed, Navigating the Diagnosis and Management of Hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and Hypermobility Spectrum Disorders just by sharing what you love about the Bendy Bodies podcast. On Instagram, tag us at bendy underscore bodies and on Facebook at Bendy Bodies Podcast. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the co-hosts and their guests. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. The thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice and should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. This podcast is intended for general education only and does not constitute medical advice. Your own individual situation may vary. Do not make any changes without first seeking your own individual care from your physician. We'll catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies Podcast. This episode of the Bendy Bodies Podcast was brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports, designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.